0: Father, we thank you, Father, for this morning. Thank you, Father, for your goodness and your mercy. Lord, I pray, Father, that even as we listen to your word this morning, anoint us afresh. Speak to our hearts. Father, grant every one of us, O Lord, here in this house. We are not here. We have not come here to this house to waste this one and a half hours. Father, life and death, eternity is at stake. In these one and a half hours, O Lord. This is a time which will never come back to us again. It is once and for all. And enable us, Lord Father, to to hold on to every word that you have to say to us this morning. And Lord, whatever is of you, Father, let that word not come back void until it has accomplished its purpose. And whatever is not of you, if it is of man, let it fall to the ground. And therefore, I pray that you would anoint us all. It us hearing, hearing ears and willing hearts to hear and to obey. To that end, I pray that you'd bless this word. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus name, Amen. Just start with one verse last Sunday and this will launch from there that we looked at last Sunday, last Sunday's sermon. Proverbs chapter three, verses three to four. One of the best chapters you can commit to memory. If, then, if, then, if, then. you have If you are a programmer, you know what I'm talking about. Automation, guys, okay. There are several if statements and then statements. Yeah, so there are conditions and promises. Conditions and promises. One of the best proverbs, easy to commit to memory and enjoy. But we'll look at this one beautiful proverb that we looked at last Sunday, and we will launch from there. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Find them around your neck. neck, Write them on the tablet of your heart. You see, Proverbs is an old, it's a New Testament book in the Old Covenant. He's not telling, write it externally. Write it on the tablet of your heart. This is what Jesus said. I'm going to write your laws on the tablet of, the, of your heart. It's amazing that Solomon, who is a guy in the Old Testament, he has a revelation of the New Covenant. So, uh, keep that in mind. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And so, find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. How do you find favor and high esteem? By keeping mercy and truths. Together, in your heart, and then you have favor and high esteem uh, in the sight of God and man. You need to understand, sometimes we look at this verse and we Forget the incredible paradox that the word's verse conveys. How can mercy and truth be together? Okay. There was a a secular writer called A.N. Wilson who wrote a commentary on the, his commentary, a secular commentary. It's not a commentary, it's just his his opinion on uh, the book of Galatians. And it's a secular guy. I mean, he, he was, uh, the, I think the title of the book was uh, Paul, the mind of the apostle. And in that book, he was commenting about church history. Uh, this is what he has to say, you know, he says church history. I mean, he talks about a church of love. He talks about Jesus. Jesus was a revolutionary religious reformer. And he tried to establish the church of love. Okay. What was the message of the church of love? God radically accepts everybody, no matter who you are. He does not make judgments. The only people whom he rejects are those who condemn. That was the message of the church of love. Radically accepts anybody, just as you are, you should come. And you need to see, this is exactly what so many people, if you uh, looked at uh, a few few months back, there was a gay pride period in... uh, uh, in California, California, and whatever they're celebrating, they were celebrating love. Okay, we accept everybody because we are broad-minded than those narrow-minded conservatives. Okay, we are liberals. We belong to the Church of Love. And then he continues to say, "This is his, his, his analysis." Okay, this is secular, secular guy. But what happened? His followers came. <laughs> They said Jesus' followers rejected this, rejected this notion and established the church of law. What was the message of the, of the church of law? God has absolute standards. And if you don't follow the standards, you will be punished. So he, this was his conclusion. He says, either you have the church of love or the church of law, you can't have both. And our sister Anne knows very well what I'm talking about. In our office, they call her the law. And all the others, they call grace. The other there, there are there are the liberals and the conservatives in a Christian organization. I don't want to name the name of the organization you know. Because this is going to be aired. Yeah? In, there are liberals and conservatives in a Christian organization. So on the conservative side, you have people who, who presumably... She doesn't say, Jesus is only talking about the law. So they're... Christians, Christianity is also divided into two, these two categories. And the whole world, every religion is either d- d- uh, divided into a, a church of love, who has a God of love, whoever that God is, or the church of law. With the God of law, whoever that God is. But that is not the God of the Bible. See, because even even in, uh, in, in Islam, no, Allah is merciful. But only to a certain extent. He is going to punish punish you. And in our own country, we have Hinduism and several traits of Hinduism. And one of the things that you, I used to listen to very often when I was growing up, dushta, sikshana, sishya, rakshana. What does it mean? Whoever is dushta, meaning a bad, wicked man will be punished. The sishyas or the disciples will be saved. So every religion, or rather man-made religion, has no categories in their mind to combine the God of love and the God of law. So when you read uh, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, you see mercy and truth, how can they come together? And this has been incredible, I mean, one of the most profound questions of every Greek philosopher who was seeking for truth. Now, there was an encounter that Moses had with God. Now, when Moses had an encounter with God, he asked God, God, show me your glory. Remember that, that, that encounter. We'll just look at that uh, encounter, encounter, the encounter of Moses. This is found in Exodus chapter 33 and 34. I'm just taking a few verses to uh, position this message. It says in Exodus chapter 33, verse 18, and he said, this is Moses, please show me your glory. God asked what, uh, what, what did Moses ask for? Please show me your glory. Then he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. So what does glory equal to? All my goodness. Notice, I mean, I just put it uh, in caps, all caps. All my goodness pass over you. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. So, so Moses asked for one question. What did he ask? Please show me a glory, God. And God said, I will show you all my goodness and I will show you my name. Fair enough. And then, this is, this is what happens in Exodus chapter 33, verses 34, verses 6 and 7. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. That's his mercy part. And then, Look at the next part. By no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And God says, that is all my goodness. Do you see this? If you didn't understand what was happening here, the kids understand very fast. I'm talking about 7 year old, 8 year old, 6 year old. I showed them this verse. I told them, I said, God is merciful. It's, what does it mean? He will forgive. Okay? If you sin, and if you confess your sin, He will forgive. He will overlook your sin. And, He will forgive your iniquity. He will forgive your transgression. He will forgive your sin because He is merciful. Do you know, do you know that? God is a merciful God? You all said, yes, yes, we love the God who is merciful. And then He says, By no means clearing the guilty. The first question they asked was, what does it mean to be guilty? All the children, okay? This is uh, six, seven year old children in my school. Then I said guilty means whenever you sin, like for example, if you disobey your mummy and papa, you shout at them, something inside of you tells that you are wrong, right? They said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, that is what is what we call as guilt. Oh, and what does it what does the Bible say? He will no means clear the guilty, and I said he will punish the guilty. That's what it means. And immediately one of them said, then how can he be long suffering? How can he be long suffering and punish the guilty at the same time? Did you get that question anytime in your life? I'm talking about six, seven-year-old children, okay? I don't want to name their names. I mean, they're, it's stunning. I mean, I'll tell you why they're able to see the obvious, because their minds are not corrupted. They're fresh minds, innocent children. They're able to look. Oh, if God punishes the guilty, how can he be long-suffering at the same time? And Moses, he's telling Moses, "That is all my goodness. How can God be good if He punishes me?" And then I said, "Not only does He punish you, if I sin, <laughs> He will He will punish Abigail." They were looking at me like this. They were. He will punish Abigail's children. Everybody is shocked. Abigail's children's children. Four generations will be punished by God. By that. The thing about long-suffering just disappeared from their minds. And then I was telling, isn't God good? They're perplexed. You see, isn't it amazing that we have the church of law and we have the church of love. But only in the gospel, we have both the church of law and the church of love coming together. And God says, that is all my goodness. For example, let me ask you this question. If a man is always upright, is always honest, never takes a bribe, never lies, is always fair and gives just punishment or just uh, what if, judgment to to his people in his office, etc. Will you call him good? Yes or no? Yes, you will call him good. That is an expression of Goodness. On the other hand, let us say there is another guy in in your office who also forgives. You know, he is loving. He forgives and he says, he overlooks, okay, let bygones be bygones. I overlook your mistakes, etc. Will you call him good? Yes! Both are an expression of of goodness. But the point here is this. Both the expressions of God goodness are unified in God. And he punishes the guilty and he does not even overlook the faults i didn't put this up here in this in the slides there is a conversation between two friends job job's friend his name is bildad the shuhite i told you yesterday he's got he's got shuhite theology okay okay bildad the shuhite and he is giving his arguments about god his perception about god he says job i'll tell you why you are going through sufferings perhaps your brothers your sons might have sinned God is not a God who will just uh, punish just like that. God is a God who justly punishes. He has a valid argument. And he says, all the suffering that you're going through is probably may, you might have done something wrong. And if you forgive and if you ask God for forgiveness, and, 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 and if you ask God for forgiveness, he will overlook your faults and bless you again. Then starts chapter number 5. You don't have to turn there. Paraphrasing. You know how Job responds? Job says, What you say is right in principle. What you say is right in principle. I know that God can bless me and forgive my sin. But let me ask you this question. How can anybody be just before his creator unless I have a mediator? This is Job's gospel. gospel, Yes, Job's gospel. Chapter number 5. Isn't it remarkable? He says, what you say is right in principle, but how can any man be right before God if God marks iniquities unless I have a mediator to take me to God? How can I become right with God and how can I accrue his blessing? You know something? Every religion had a founder. Am I right? Right. Yeah, Buddhism had a founder, Islam had a founder, Um, I don't know, Hinduism has several trades, several founders, several Maharajas and Rajas and Pandits, etc. But only Christianity has a mediator. Only Christianity has a mediator. Where both law and love are together. The point therefore is, that is all of God's goodness, right? That is the reason why in John's gospel chapter 1 verse 14, we know this very well. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his what? Glory. The glory of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and full of truth. So you have glory which is full of grace and full of truth in the son of God. So when mercy and truth are together, And what is Proverbs saying? Let mercy and truth be together. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So if he's saying, asking us to do that, whom is he asking us to be like? Jesus. Okay? Everybody knows that, right? So Matthew chapter 5 verse 48. Therefore, you must be what? Everybody read, let us read together. Come on, there's so many people falling asleep, Baba. Okay, let's read it together. You, therefore, you must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Now this is of course in the context of love, loving your enemies, etc. But you shall, you must be perfect, other translation says, you shall be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Meaning you should be full of Grace and full of truth. You should be full of mercy and you should be full of truth as well. And you should therefore be like your heavenly father. You know what? Whenever we talk about perfection, people start running for their lives. No, how many of you heard this? Nobody's perfect. Can anybody heard? Uh, how many of you used it? <laughs> Nobody is perfect. Because we have a, a, some kind of a def definition in our minds. We don't know exactly. We can't articulate it. We have our intuition of what it means to be perfect. But let us look at this verse again. Uh, Matthew chapter 5 verse 48. Thou must be perfect. Okay. Very interesting. It is a command, not a sug- suggestion. Thou must finish that. Be perfect. Okay. The must what be perfect. What does that mean? In, in Christianity, we are not we are we are commanded to be, not to do. You understand that, okay? Let me. Let, this is exactly what you know. Many times we we get confused when we hear hear a very powerful message. You know what? This is our this is this. Uh, after the sermon is over, the natural question is, what shall we do? Nobody asks. Us How shall we be this? And Christianity doesn't say, you know what? Do. No, 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 no. Be and then you will do. And you shall be perfect. Not try to be perfect. You shall be perfect. It is a command. Okay? So if it is a command, not a suggestion, then we have to take it very seriously. So perfection has... Two connotations in the New Testament. Two connotations in the New Testament. They're rendered in two ways in the New Testament. First is what we call as mature. Okay, perfect means it's rendered as mature. The same Greek word as rendered as mature. Another place is complete. For example, you have a baby who's born. You don't get two babies. You get, I mean divided by two. It is an indu- unless you have twins, of course, you have uh, two babies, but you have one baby, one undivided baby, perfect baby, complete baby. But is it mature? No. You understand? The baby grows slowly. It becomes two years old. A perfect two-year-old, appropriate weight, appropriate height. For girls' height, girls' weight, complete two-year-old. But is it mature? No. 15 years old, 20 years old, what is happening? It could be complete when it, when it comes to a 20-year-old, but maturity levels are also increasing. And most of the time, guys especially, by the time that they are 30 years old, see, 30 is the age most guys settle down in their minds. Another, till 30, you are like a go-getter. You're taking risks. <laughs> you know you, you need to understand. Oh, especially in labs, no, all professors are after young researchers. I see that in my own lab, no. Where there was a one, one sharp researcher, very young guy, very brilliant oh, was, was my co- colleague some time back. He was about 22 or 23 years old. He finished his BTech. Sharp guy, brilliant guy. By the time he finished his BTEC, he had one publication at a robotics conference. Okay. And then he was contemplating uh, going abroad and, you know, doing his PhD as masters, etc. But my prof, you know, he said, I want this fellow. But you know, you need, you need to understand the funding in India for robotics is not that much. Okay, what he gets, uh, let's say, in you know, a university abroad, he gets absolutely nothing when compared to what he gets abroad. But my prof is like, he wants him. You wouldn't believe what my prof did. He went to the hostel and waited outside his door till he opened it. Please, Arun, join my lab. 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 Literally begged him. And that guy was he was like sir what what do i do okay sir <laughs> he just joined the lab and he finished his phd in four years and he was one of the youngest robotics phds from triple it i think he is by far the youngest robotics phd from triple it and he went for his uh for his postdoc to israel and he did his postdocs in one of the uh, uh, israel uh, universities you know but you know he's traveling all around the world now he's traveling everywhere he's still not settled okay still under 30 now i think he's just turned 30 recently Till 30 you're still all over the place. Lord of Josh, by the time that you're, th- you're 30, you know what happens? Something happens there. Some kind of a maturity comes. You know, John the Baptist was about how many years old? 30 years old when he went into the ministry. Oh, how much, how, how old was Jesus? 30 years old when he went into the ministry. 33 and a half years old when he was offered as a sacrifice. He was a blemishless, complete, mature, blemishless sacrifice on the cross. How was he growing? He was growing in wisdom and in stature, finding favor with God and favor with man slowly. He was increasing in completeness and he was also increasing in what? Maturity, both. So, so perfection has two connotations in the Bible. You should be mature and you should be complete or you should be perfect. For example, you could be very mature when you are like, let's say 40 years old, but uh, your, your left hand is, let's say, broken. Are you complete? No, that is the reason why, you know what, God asked to offer every sacrifice that you offer should be young. That means it should be in prime of its youth or whatever it is. It should be without blemish. It should be complete and it should be mature. Otherwise, it's not representing my son. Okay, that is the reason why he takes, he takes offense to what the Malachi, uh, the, uh, what the Israelites do through Malachi. Hmm? He says, what are you offering to me? Etc. So where do we start? In our walk with maturity, where do we start? First thing, where do we start? Question number one, where to start? Let us go back to Matthew chapter 5 verse 48. Follow carefully, okay? Follow carefully, okay? I know it's going to be a little study, but follow carefully. It's going to be a little tedious. It's going to uh, uh, ask you to follow carefully the logic, but let us do it. Hmm? You therefore must be perfect. How? As your heavenly father is perfect. Meaning, the standards of perfection are not earthly, but heavenly. There itself, you should get a heart attack. It is not earthly standards, Heavenly standards. Second observation from there, it is only those who have, who as their father? God as their father. He's expecting them to be having God as their father. So if you're not born again in this house, it is not for you. Okay? You can never be perfect. For example, people outside the church who are not uh, not not a part of the body of Christ when they read the uh, Sermon on the Mount, And they lead this place, thou shalt be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. They look at it and say, let's try to be that. But it's not going to be possible. It's not for them. It's for only those people who have been born again into the kingdom of God. That is John's gospel, chapter 3, verse 3. It says, Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again or born from above, he cannot see. You don't even enter into the race unless you are born again as a Christian. So you just because you have... Christian fathers and Christian mothers doesn't mean that you're a Christian. You know, that's exactly what happened in the, uh, in the, in the early 1700s, if I'm right, when, um, when a uh, lot of immigrants were coming to new England in the U S okay. The immigrant families were all Christian wife and husband were Christian. Okay. The wife and husband were Christian. And those days you were not even allowed to vote unless you were a Christian, and had a genuine born again experience. You were not even allowed to vote. So, but the problem the, 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 those days, all the families were, you know, they just entered into uh, US. They, they escaped persecution in, uh, in in the in the Europe and in uh, UK, and escaped to US. And they all were born again believers, so they didn't have a problem. The first generation didn't have a problem, but all of them had eight, eight, nine children. Those were those days. They had children left, right, and center. Okay, so I had so many children. By the time the next generation came. Many children were not born again. They didn't have a personal encounter with God. So they, before they voted, they were asked this question, are you a believer? Did you have a personal encounter with God? Most of them said, what are you talking about? But I go to church, I put my tights. They were saying, no, 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 no. Did you have a personal encounter with God? Then I said, no, then you can't vote. So, so many people are not eligible to vote. So what did, the, the, the state, you know what the state had to do? They had to prepare what was, what we call as the halfway covenant. <laughs> halfway covenant. Those days. Okay. So, it, this, this particular, when we, when God is saying, thou shall be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect, this is not for people who are not born again. This is only for people who had an experience of an encounter with God. Okay, we'll come back to that. Okay, just keep that in mind. That is the reason why James chapter 1 verse 18 will say, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be the first fruits of his creatures. Okay, so we are born again. We are born again by the seed of the word of God and by the spirit of God, by the word and of the, by the spirit. We are born again into the family of God. That is something which we have by nature as a seed. The seed to grow into perfection is already there inside of us. But that does not become just because we have the nature of Christ, that does not become that we have the character of Christ. There's a lot of difference between nature and character. So what we have to... What God has to do is slowly use that nature and through the spirit work inside of us and allow crushings and all kinds of trials and difficulties to come into our lives so that the image of Christ slowly is formed into our lives. That's what it says in Romans chapter 8 verses 29 onwards. For those he foreknew, he predestined them to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and those whom he predestined them also he called and those whom he called them also he justified and those whom he justified he also glorified so the idea is how do we grow in maturity how do we grow in both maturity as well as in completeness we increasingly conform ourselves to the image of his son So in order to conform to the image of his son, God uses a particular process, what we call as transformation, to conform, he has to transform us. This is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And we all with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of God, are being what? Transformed into the same image. You see that? From one degree of glory to another, For this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. So in order to conform us, he transforms us. In order to conform us to the image of his his son, he transforms us in our minds. That is what the next verse will say. Romans chapter 12 verses 1 to 2. I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And do not be conformed to this world You see that age or time, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind or the renewal of your mind. It is not notice. It is not the removal of the mind. It is the renewal of the mind. I was reading Derek Prince. I was studying Derek Prince. Okay. The other day, you know what he said? He said, if you want to become smart and wise, how many of you want to become smart and wise in this house this morning? How many of you want to be fools? Okay, Uh, so how many of you want to be smart? Raise your hands up in the air without shame. Smart, both hands. Extra wise. You know something? You know what? He made a very fantastic statement. He said, you know what? If you read the Bible, and if you try to understand what God is saying in each and every verse, your mind will become sharp. That is the reason why, you know, what Paul tells Timothy, right from childhood, you knew the Holy Scriptures, which is able to make you, what? Wise unto salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, honestly, I look at all my children in my school. It is a lab for me. I tell you they can learn anything. I, I, I took a class from uh, Two year, three year old to seven year old. Okay, that's what that was the range that I had. The first time I was teaching them, I taught them Hebrew. What I learned in four or five months, they learned in fifteen days. You can teach them anything, anything. And I said, Lord, protect their minds, Lord, please, please, please. One guy is going to join our school now. A new admission, he memorized the entire John's gospel. Not in the ESV, not in NIV, in King James Version. He's 12 years old. You, I mean, I'll tell you honestly, to memorize Romans is very easy. I memorized quite, quite a bit. Easy. Easy to memorize Romans for, for a person who's used to memorizing. To memorize John It is one of the toughest books to memorize because John brings interjections between flows of thought. Romans is one step, two step, three step, four step result. One step, two step, three step, four step result. So if you do mathematics, you will get it easily, not a problem. But if you read John, John is, you know, he's like a honeybee, okay? And he's looking at a flower. So it goes like from one direction and he comes out. No, 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 that is not good. I want to convey something else. He comes out and goes from another direction. And he is all over the place, it seems. And to get a flow of thought and to be able to memorize, to have, you know, because I know how to memorize, I have some pointers here and there and I quote to one, from one point to another point, right? Right, doctor? She also, I think, memorizes. I don't know. I don't know how doctors do it. So from one point to the other, I navigate because I have some patterns in my mind. But you cannot create a pattern using John's gospel. And I looked at that kid. And by the way, you know, according to our school curriculum, the highest award is given to the guy who can memorize John's gospel. Because everybody knows it's the toughest gospel to memorize. Forget about that. Martin Luther knew the entire New Testament by heart in Latin and Greek. Shame on us. Latin and Greek. That is the reason why reformation transformed. He wrote 95 theses on that day. We're going to celebrate the 501st birthday of of the of the reformation on 31st of October. We are there. Okay. Fine. So, so let me tell you something. If you want to be wise to salvation, study the scriptures, my dear brothers and sisters, study the scriptures and you will understand the mind of God. Study the scriptures. For those who are older, it's never too late. I believe you can also do it. But better to start young. Can you imagine by the time that that kid is like, what, 15 or 16 years old and he knows like, let's say, Romans and Ephesians and everything in his mind and he's able to understand it. Can can you know the kind of mindset with which he'll be going into university? They'll be stunned. They'll not be able to gainsay the wisdom that this guy has. has. I believe that is how Daniel was. He was a man of wisdom. You know why God blessed him? Because he kept to the Torah. By the way, this is just not a part of my script, but the Jewish guy, by the time he's 13 years old, he knows the entire Torah by heart. No wonder they have the highest per capita number of Nobel laureates from Israel, from the Jewish nation. Okay, so that is... Those brains are there. Okay, so you, you need to understand, you, you, you get wisdom in this world also. So if you want, don't forget about worldly uh, heavenly wisdom. If you want worldly wisdom also, study the scriptures. Study the scriptures. Understand the logic. Your mind will expand. You, you know what, there's some kind of a confidence that comes into your heart. Just because you know scripture. I believe that is God. Okay, so... Transformation happens by not conforming to this age. You know, what happened is so many people, even in Christendom, they're trapped in time. They're trapped in time. They're not eternal beings. They are time beings. When will I get married? When should I get married? Et cetera, et cetera. I'm telling you, I'm going to approach 40 very soon. I don't know, 40 years of my life just went like that. (laughs) I was remembering 20 years back I was in BTEC. My God, it's over man. It's finished. It's just gonna finish like that. And many of us, we are so trapped in time and the now, I want things now. We are not eternity focused. How many of us have eternity focus? How much should I earn? How much money should I make? How... Nobody thinks about this is church today, this morning. How many of you were fired up for church this morning? Fired up for church. Think about it, no? Once a week, set apart for God. So, do not be conformed to this this age, but be transformed, not by the removal of your mind, but by the renewal of your mind. So that you will have the mind of the creator. Mind of the creator. You know, I was uh, listening to, uh, what's his name, John MacArthur the other day, and he was talking about, he was reading a book, Called Rocket Men. <clears throat> so he's talking. He was uh, studying about these rocket scientists in the 1960s. America launched a probe to orbit the moon. Okay, so when they, orb, they when they had to launch the probe, a probe to orbit the moon, they used a particular ch- technology called catapulting. You now we even Chandrayaan, our ISRO also used it. Uh, remember, ISRO had a, had this world record of launching the maximum number of satellites, 101 satellites in one one go. You saw the video? Breathtaking video. Okay, but this this I mean and John John MacArthur says Earth is moving at the speed of twenty I mean sorry, moon is traveling in the universe at the speed of twenty-five thousand miles per per hour. Can you imagine the speed? Twenty-five thousand miles per hour. And for this probe to get into the Earth's, into the Moon's orbit, it has to catapult itself at the speed of twenty-six thousand miles per hour, and all that is made possible because there is a law called gravity. Because God is in control. You know what He's saying? That mind which put stars into space. You know, it says in in in, in Genesis, and He made the stars also. That's it. One sentence. How many stars? He made the stars also. And he knows them by name. Can you imagine that mind of the creator? That mind you and I can have? You know that? How much we are blinded to stupid things in our in our in our lives? Stupid movies. Stupid fights. See that? You're trapped in time, my dear brothers and sisters. Okay. Let's move on. You have some young engineers coming up. Hmm. Okay. I, I know. I, I, I put, I gave eye contact. Okay. That's you. <laughs> All right. So, but how do you get transformed? One thing. The mind, it says the carnal mind is enmity against God. Ephesians chapter four. To put off. Your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the what of your mind? In the attitude of your mind, in the spirit of your mind. In other words, your mind has an attitude. I, I, I told you right, it's, it's what we call, what, what is this look? Everybody knows it, no? Vivekananda look. So mind has a Vivekananda pose like that oh ho i see okay okay it's got an attitude it's got a point of view it's got a spirit and that spirit is not submissive it has got a mind of its a mind has a mind of its own you see that mind has to be tamed You see, when you're born again, you're born again in the spirit, but your mind is still hostile. You see? And most of our problems are because our minds are all over the place. Honestly, tell me something, no? How many of us can, for 15 minutes, concentrate on one thing? Consistently. 15 minutes. Those days, I I taught in the university for about 8 years. First batch, they can stand the class for one hour. Second batch, 55 minutes. Third batch, 50 minutes. Fourth batch, 45 minutes. Everybody has a prostate problem. When they are 19, 20 years old. They want coffee break, this break, that break. Oh, sir. Oh, no. I looked at him and said, boys, who should be getting frustrated over here? Me or them? Huh? Everybody has an attitude. We have an attitude in our mind. We have a point of view. We have our assertion as to what our mind should think. Hmm? That has to be transformed. Transformed to what? In order to have the image of Christ, the mind has to be transformed to the mind of who? The mind of Christ. Everybody knows that. So, Philippians chapter 2 will say, so in order to be mature, we should be mature in our thinking. I think that's, it says in First Corinthians chapter 7, verse 40, 40 if I'm right, 1420 uh, or something like that, 1425. It says, when it comes to thinking, be mature. Don't be like children in your thinking. But when it comes to evil, be like children. But we have a generation, very mature in evil. But when it comes to thinking, worse than a child. Worse than a child. So, mature in our thinking, to have completeness in our thinking, is that that is the goal of our transformation process. Okay, so I'll, I'm going to look at seven lessons as to how to get this. Okay, seven lessons, seven. 7 Let's look at a passage from scripture to understand how do we get this. Philippians chapter 2. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Okay. Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond servant and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And by the way, this is essentially not Paul writing. Paul was quoting from uh, an early Christian creed or a Christian hymn. It was a well-known hymn in the first early church. They, somehow, some, somebody wrote this hymn and he was just quoting that. So he says, let this mind be in you, especially in your attitude towards others, in your relationship with others. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. So in order to have that mind, we should understand what kind of a mind did he have so that we can conform ourselves by the spirit of God. We should have a vision, right? We should have a vision as to where we are going. You know, one of the things that pastor asked me, you know, he keeps asking me this question. The first time I, 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 I we had some counseling session in, my, in his office, he looked at me and he said, Vijay, five years from now, where do you see yourself? What is your, what is your goal in life from five, five years from now? Where do you see yourself? 5 years from now if i want to ask you this question do you have a goal 5 years from now do you have a motivation you know uh, if you look at uh, some of the uh, guys on uh, on youtube fitness gurus in the youtube okay so they, 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 they i mean i was also wanting to get a little fit these days because uh, yeah i'm bloating in different directions yeah so the, the guy looks at, looks, I mean, the, the guy who's actually uh, doing this training, he look, He says, how do you see yourself? What is your goal? How much body fat do you want to have? How much weight do you want to lose? What is your motivation? Where do you see yourself? And, and it's a very interesting thing. You know, everybody knows, right? To gain weight, it's easy. You don't have to do anything. You just exist. You'll automatically gain weight. Okay. Put put away weight, especially your tires. Oh, what toughest things to do. Okay, so this is important. So where do you see yourself? I mean, that is, of course, physical. Where do you see yourself? Do you have a goal in mind as to where you want to see yourself? Let's say one year from now or a few months from now. Do you have a goal? So if you, you should have a goal, what are you aiming for? Are we aimless? Are we some people beating the air? We don't know where we are going. That is the reason why it says in Proverbs, without vision, people, what? Perish. And we need to have a vision. What do we want from God? What kind of a mindset? What should I even aim for? Is a question, right? So let us aim for certain things. How did Jesus have this mind? And how can, what kind of a mind did Jesus have? And how we can have that kind of a mind. First, Jesus gave up his rights. Okay? He didn't say in Kalab Zindabad. Lal Salam, Lal Salam. Okay? Never! Jesus, you know, he said, you know, it says he did not count it equality to God to be grasped, meaning he held his rights very loosely. Very loose. Just could give up easily. He never held on to it like that. I am God, so loose. We are living in a generation who talks more about rights. Have you seen what's going on in the West? Some country, which is not even part of US, they send their uh, citizens and they want they want a right to be into the, come, come to come into the US. What nonsense is that? What kind of a stupidity is that? From Honduras oh we are an immigrant caravan we are going to come into the us who is going to stop us who gave you that right which country will allow and you know can you imagine if no country is even actually even talking about it because i know many indians in canada who took refugee status running away from what So we are refuge. Refuge? I know a guy who was my neighbor in Canada. He claimed refugee status. I said, Where, what were you running away from? Vikram Singh. Call me Vicky. Okay. They'll change their names, okay? <laughs> my, name, my name is Sakvinder Singh. You can call me Stuart. Something like that, okay? So, they, 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 they claim, uh, what do we call as... Uh, what status? Refugee status. We are refugees and we have a right into your country. Who gave you that right? It's interesting. They say India persecuted us and therefore we came off here. They're not Christians by the way. Okay. India persecuted us so we are here. And after they get the permanent card, they go back to the Indian embassy to get a passport also. Amazing. We have a, we have a, Entire generation which is fighting for rights, and nobody talks about you know what responsibility nobody talks about that everywhere you go, we have a right. this is our right. you know what Jesus says I gave him my rights, all my rights are gone that's what he told right Peter, Peter, put away your sword if i do not if I ask my father, will he not send legions of angels? should I not Take this cup my father has prepared for me. Don't you know that I have given away my rights? How many of you have given away your rights? Hmm? Look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 12. If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than to put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. You know, one of the first things pastor pastor told me, you know, he told me when he was going to mission trips abroad, especially, he would not take a single offering from the churches over there. He would work with his own hands. You know why? He would tell me, you know what? If we go there and if they give money, if we accept money, they are not going to accept my message. I have a right, yes. Those who preach the gospel should live by the gospel. But you know what? I'm not going to take the money because... I want to. I want people to receive my message. Given away rights. Look at what he says in First Thessalonians chapter two, verse five. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with the pretext of for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others. Though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ demands i mean that's exactly so many preachers they demand we should be put up in a five-star accommodation we should have what uh air air ticket which is first class only then we are becoming to your to your to your your city to preach the gospel who are these people claiming rights jesus gave away his rights proverbs chapter 29 verse 7 a righteous man knows the rights of the poor A wicked man does not understand such knowledge. Amazing. A righteous man knows the rights of the poor. This is in the English Standard Version. A wicked man does not understand such knowledge. What it tells me is this. A mark of spiritual maturity or transformation is have I given up my rights? How would I know? How would I know I have given up my rights? Test. Example. Genesis chapter 13. This is what is happening between Abraham and Lot. And there was strife. Wherever there is strife, wherever there is a will, there are, answer, relatives. Okay? Wherever there is a will, there are relatives. They are all, have you seen a lot of movies, no? How much did he give you? Nothing. That was my right. That's exactly what Adonijah said. Adonijah was a man for rights. It was my right to get into the throne, but you took it. Satan demands rights. Look at what happens. And there was strife between herdsmen of Abraham's livestock and herdsmen of Lot's, Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. And Abraham said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me and between your kinsmen and my herdsmen, for herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are brothers, kinsmen. And then what happened? Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. I've given him my rights. You take the first choice. Can you imagine the maturity of this man? And I've seen in churches, in this city, fight between two factions in a church. They're t- taking over the church office. You know what they do? Bunch of people are sitting and holding on to their positions in the church office. And there's an entire mob of brothers who come into the church office. They drag their own brothers and throw them out and occupy their seats. You know what they do? They capture it on video and they put it on YouTube. This is happening in our city. And who's watching? The Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hindus and the Muslims are all watching that. Brothers fighting. Strife is good, brothers. Strife is good. It shows us our maturity. First Corinthians chapter 11 verse 19, but of course there must be divisions among you so that you who have God's approval will be recognized. There should be strife. Strife will tell you who, what kind of a person you are, what kind of a maturity you have. Will you hold on and cling to your rights, especially during property divisions, right? Exactly at that time, uh, one guy gets up and says, Jesus, please tell my brother to divide the property. And he looked at him and he said, who has made me judge over you, man? A man's wealth does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. Okay? Property. Ask this question. Second. Very important. Very difficult. Jesus gave up his reputation before men. First. There are two options for us. Either we seek for the praise of men or seek the praise of God. One man of God said, aim for the skies, you will have earth thrown in. Aim for the earth, you will have nothing left. Aim for the skies and you will have earth thrown in. That's what it says, the meek shall inherit the earth. Aim for the skies and you will have earth thrown in. Meaning, seek praise of God, not praise of man. Reputation, before men or praise of men or praise of God. Life of pretense or a life of truths. Fear of man or a fear of God. If you fear man, you will not fear God. If you fear God, you will not fear man. You can't have both. Proverbs chapter 29 verse 25. The fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be kept safe. Okay? The fear of man. Brings a snare. Let me tell you something. No, this is this, this is there in church history also. And this, by the way, the fear of man, nobody is rid of it. He could be a very senior apostle and still can fear men. There is a tale of two cities in the Bible. Okay? Tale of two cities. Those cities are not uh, Paris and London. It's Jerusalem and Antioch. Tale of two cities called, one is called Jerusalem, the other is called Antioch. Jerusalem was a church full of Jewish believers. Antioch was a church predominantly of Gentile believers. So there's an apostle who goes from Jerusalem, sorry, Antioch to Jerusalem. His name is Paul. This is what happens to him. Galatians chapter 2. Then after 14 years, I went up and again to, went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of revelation. This is chapter 2, verse 1 onwards of Galatians. I went up because of a revelation and said before them, though privately, before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped into spy spy out of freedom that that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you and from those who seem to be influential. What they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. Let me tell you what happens. Paul is an apostle to the Gentile believers. He goes to Jerusalem. He is discussing his gospel. And he is seeing whether his message is in line with the scriptures or not. Or what we call as peer review. He was subjecting himself to peer review. Okay. So there were some false teachers over there. And he was never scared of them. He was not even scared of Peter and James and John. And actually Peter and James and John are really, really happy with the message that he was preaching. And they gave him the what of fellowship? The right hand of fellowship. Then what happens next time? One, another brother from Jerusalem church to visits what? Antioch. His name is Peteru. Okay. Okay. Our Peter is here. Uh we have a very interesting, we have a s- small child called Joanna. How many of you know Joanna? Joanne, Joanne. Sorry, not Joanna. Joanne. Okay. Very, very smart. She went and asked Peter, Peter, are you the Peter from the Bible? Peter looked at her and said, yeah. That's right. And she looked at him and said, are you the same Peter who denied Jesus three times? <laughs> Peter got a shock of his life. He said, oh, no, 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 no. Okay. (laughs) Out of the mouth of babes. Okay. Smart. I can never get over that. Okay. I can just never get over that. Okay. So Peter has a problem. Peter fears man. He goes to Antio- from, Jeruz- uh, from Jerusalem to Antioch. So what happened? When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to the face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself. Why? Ah, fearing the circumcision party. Are you, what will they think? I was a kosher eating Jew. I don't eat pig. Now I'm eating something here. Will they think that I'm non-kosher eating? I'm become unclean now. So I should, you know, what you actually he was doing very diplomatic, you know, very diplomatic. I was uh, imagining this. Okay, for example, let's say Hannah and I are having food. Okay, and I'm, I'm Peter, and Hannah is a brother in the church, a sister in the church. So I'm eating with Hannah, and I suddenly see brothers from James' church coming, and I looked at Hannah, and I looked at them, and I said, uh, "Okay, Hannah, uh, just a minute. Okay, uh, I'll just come back in a few minutes. Okay, hold my." chair and slowly got up and everybody got the message. Apparently. Okay. Everybody got the message. Even Barnabas who was Paul's co-worker, not from Jerusalem church, from Antioch church, who was Paul's co-worker, was looking at this and he also got the message. Diplomatically, slowly they got up from the table, but not under Paul's watch. Not under Paul's watch. I'm telling you honestly. You know what? Pretense is one of the most difficult besetting sins to get rid of. It is one of the most difficult. And I'll tell you why. Because our entire generation is built and based upon pretense. And we celebrate pretense. We give awards for pretense. That's what the word Hippocytos the word actor comes from the word hippokritos. Greek hippokritos. People who wear masks. And we celebrate hypocrites, I was telling you on Wednesday, right? We celebrate, give awards called Oscar Awards for hypocrites. World's best female hypocrite. In the leading role, sorry. Leading female hypocrite. Leading male hypocrite. Leading supporting male hypocrite leading, supporting, fail, hypocrite, and the fool called director who directed all these hypocrites, and the idiot called producer who put money into all these hypocrites. Oscar Watts, Talia, and they will come and give a stupid speech. Have you seen all the speech? Except, of course, we can leave Steven Spielberg and the List. That was better. He deserved it. Okay. Except that. Okay? Ex- ex- Except, except that because Shindlers List it was not a movie; it was a documentary. It was a documentary drama. It's something. It's amazing. You just can't not watch it and not cry. Okay, something which I will never. I've seen it several times. Every time I see it, I cry. I just cry. Okay, fine. So the apart so we we celebrate, that and it's a very, very, very strong besetting sin i'll tell you i'll tell you the i'll tell you the, the power behind it okay just before that so peter is not going to not going to happen under paul's watch so what paul says and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even barnabas was led astray by the hypocrisy but when i saw that the conduct was what not in step with the truth of the gospel there is a line of the gospel and you should walk that line what we call as orthopedeo and what is this man doing? He's having twisted feet like this. And slowly he's going off in a different direction. Paul says, not under my watch. You know what he says? If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile, how can you expect the Gentiles to live like Jews? Are you out of your mind, Peter? Do you see what kind of a message you are actually conveying? You are actually saying, you know what? You guys are sinners and I can't stand you. I'm becoming very antiseptic. Who's this? Barnabas. You know, Barnabas was always this encourager, no? he was called the son of encouragement. That's his name. Son of encouragement. Encourage him. There was a guy called Mark. Mark was Paul and Barnabas and co-worker. In the second missionary trip, Paul said, I'm not taking Mark, this fellow ran away. Barnabas said, no, 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 We should give him a chance, we should give him a chance, we should encourage him, no, 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 this is a mission trip, please, Baba, we are not taking him, please, please, please. And they had such a heated argument about that. You know, Bible is absolutely clear, no? They had an argument, Paul, Barnabas took Mark and went away, Paul took Silas and went away. They had they had, they divided themselves completely. And after that, you don't even hear about Barnabas. That's interesting, by the way. Very interesting. Barnabas is over. The son of encouragement. You know why? I'll tell you. Tim Keller says this very, very interesting thing. He says, compromise is the besetting sin of encouragers. Compromise is the besetting sin of encouragers. Meaning all people who compromise, you know what? chalega, chalega, just overlook. You know why? Because they have compromise in their hearts. That is the reason why they are able to overlook. They don't take standards. They don't take conviction. They have no strong convictions. Look at what John Piper says on this. Okay, This is really powerful, saints. Look at what he says. I want you to, want us to look at this carefully, okay? The sheer beauty and power of Christ's resolve to suffer for me instead of putting up a front to save his skin shames me in my fear of man and my inclination to play the hypocrite in order to avoid suffering. You know what? Christ could have said, oh yeah, 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 I mean, okay, yeah, I'm not a son of God, okay, just leave me. He could have said that. He could have said that. Or he could have used his power. He could have said, are you the son of man? I am. They all went flat on their backs. He could have said that, but you know what? He never allowed himself to do that. He allowed himself to be shamed. Not because we can play the hypocrite. Not because we can pretend. Center your life on Jesus and his gospel and the root of hypocrisy will be severed. You see that? Hypocrisy is such a powerful, insinuating, very subtle, very, very, very subtle. You you have to be very, very careful and discerning about yourself. You should judge your heart severely about this, because it can come in different, different, different ways, and you don't even recognize. You need to understand how did this hypocrisy come. If you've seen this movie. Sorry, okay. I'm not pastor, but I have a lot of repertoire movies. Mm, Tom Hanks, and forget the lady's name, uh, there's a movie called Jerry Maguire. Very, very old movie. In that movie, he, he makes a, in the finals, one of the final shots, okay, he looks at his wife that he marries, and he looks at her and he says, you complete me. Very romantic. Okay. Was nominated for the Oscars, I guess. I don't know. But definitely a blockbuster those days at least. You complete me. Let me tell you something. Nobody can complete you. Only God can. Let me show you. At the heart of every false gospel or teaching is the fear of man. At the heart of every false gospel or teaching is the fear of man because false gospel puts up something else, albeit the reputation of men. You should have the reputation of men, otherwise you will not feel complete. Jesus Christ is not sufficient. Jesus Christ plus something else that is sufficient. You know, one of the struggles that I had when I, before I came to full-time ministry, right? I don't have many publications when compared to my peers. I have a PhD in robotics, but when it comes to my peer group, I don't don't have many publications. They have; their resumes are much, much better than I. And before I came to full-time ministry, I was like, "Lord, I come to ministry, but you know what? If I have sufficient number of publications, when I leave, I will have a justification. Oh, yeah, I finished this." I will feel complete and I can then come to ministry. And and one of the struggles that I have, no? So one day I just called my boss randomly and it's very interesting how God uses people from the other side to rebuke you. I called him up and we were having a discussion and I said, sir, sometimes I miss research. And he said, Vijay, sometimes you miss research. Sometimes I miss being a pastor. I don't know why I'm doing research. You know, this man has 150 robotic publications. 150. One of the most prolific researchers in, in India. Okay, you should see the way he works. Still, something deep down inside, he says, "I still don't feel complete." Something else. You know what? What does false gospel teach? It sh- it says, you know what? You need Jesus Christ. That' something else to complete you. That gives you justification. But that something else becomes your savior, not Jesus. It could be your husband. It could be your son or your daughter. It could be your career. You know, the worst thing that can happen to a guy who is crazy about his career is success. That's the worst thing that can happen. As long as he's not successful, he's running after it. But you know what? The day he becomes successful, it actually justifies his pursuit. I mean, I've seen that in relationships too, especially girl and boy relationships, no? The guy is taking her for a ride. And she's giving in and she's giving in because you know what? She feels complete because with him. He completes her. But not Jesus. So she's giving in and compromising and compromising and compromising. Hoping that, you know, somehow she will love him. That's exactly what happened to Leah. Joseph, Jacob was her idol. You see? But you know what? Paul was zealous for the glory of God. For the truth of the gospel. For the soul of Peter. And the other younger and weaker brothers before, therefore he confronted Paul or Peter. You see, mercy and truth have to go together. Look at what Tim Keller says. Look at what this, this is powerful. Okay, If you love without speaking the truth, you are not loving. And if you, okay, forget. If you love without speaking the truth, you are, you are not loving. And if you speak the truth without loving, you are not speaking the truth. Amazing. If you love without speaking the truth, you're not loving. If you speak the truth without, without loving, you're not truthing. You're not actually speaking the truth. You know why? Because you're f- f- afraid of hurting that person. or oh, hey, What will happen to him if he gets hurt? I'll lose him. I don't want to lose him. I don't want to lose her. I don't want to lose my reputation before, before men. That's the reason why he says, as we have said. Before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you any other gospel contrary to the one you have received, let him be accursed. Why? Because at the heart of every false gospel is the approval of man and not of God is the approval of man and not of God. Thank you, Peter and he says, if i 'm try- still trying to please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. okay, you saw that. That's what happened to Samuel, uh, Saul. First Samuel, chapter fifteen. I feared the people, and therefore I obeyed the voice. I feared the people, and you know what? You know what Paul say, Samuel says, witchcraft. It's interesting, right? Look at this. I just made a small graphic here for us. This is you under the influence of false gods and demons before you got saved. Then what happens? You receive the true gospel, and then you belong to the true God. Am I right? Yes? On the other hand, if you receive the false gospel, where do you go back? Back to false gods. Do you see that? Back to square one. That is the reason why Galatians chapter 4 will say, but then, Indeed, when you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not God's. But now after you have known God or rather are known of by God, how is it that you turn to weak and Beggarly elements to which you desire to be in bondage. Look at this. Look at this carefully. You go back to false gods and demons. You know what? You know what? Uh, Colossians chapter three. It says. It says, covetousness is idolatry, and every other gospel we teach us, covetousness and prosperity is a false gospel, taking you back to bondage to false god. Because what, what completes you is money which completes you. What completes you is success which completes you. What completes you is relationships which completes you. Fear of man leads you to sin. Fear of God keeps you from sin. That's what it says in Hebrews chapter 5. Who in the days of flesh... When he had offered up prayers and supplication with vehement, cries and tears. To him who was able to save him from death. And was heard because of his godly fear. And though he was a son, yet he learned obedience through the things, things that he suffered. See what? I'll tell you something. True gospel enables you to fight sin. False gospel, which causes a fear of man, takes you back to bondage to sin. Takes you back to bondage to sin. Ask yourself this question, not today. Am I overcoming sin? Am I more victorious in my, in areas in my life where I used to experience defeat? Am I more, more calm and more composed? Am I less angry, more patient, less lustful? More giving? Think, 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 church. 1 Peter chapter 4, therefore, since Christ suffered for us, In the flesh, arm yourself with the same mind for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. That he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. Why? For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lusts, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties and abominable idolatries. Idolatry is a good thing which has become a best thing, and the best thing which has become an idol, an idol which has become a demon, and a demon which has led into bondage. Good thing, which has become a best thing, best thing which has become an idol, idol which has become a, a deity, whatever, and a deity which has become a demon behind it, and it is now controlling you controlling you. So many people are not able to give you know why. Because they have no assurance of salvation. They're still trying to complete themselves to some other thing and some other people. Okay. So Jesus lived for the reputation of God and not the reputation of men. Third, Jesus became a bond servant. Jesus became a bond servant. What is a bond servant? Who is a bond servant? those days, no. after you served your master for several years and you loved your master like anything, you would say, master, I love you so much. I want to become your bond servant forever. You know what the master used to do? So you take him to the door, pierce all. And that, by that time, God was telling your master, you have my ear. I listen to you only. Look at Jesus. I'm juxtaposing two verses, Psalm 40 and Hebrews 10. Psalm 40. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. My ears you have opened. Who's this? Who's this? Jesus. What does it say in the New Testament? Hebrews chapter 10. Same verse, repeated. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 5. This is Psalm 40 verse 6. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, this is Jesus, Sacrifice and offerings you did not desire. but Butter. What? Body you prepared for me. Peter get up. Peter get up. He has my ear. And therefore he has my body. I have his body. Come here Peter. Turn back. Sit down. Listening to me. Hearing. He, I have his ear. And therefore I have his body. Who has your ear? I'll tell you. Sister, you know that girl, that sister who comes to our school, to our church? Oh, her husband, they're having many problems in their home. the problems in under marriage. Pray again. Problems in marriage. Please pray. That sister will call another, why am I using sisters? Because it's Titus, it says Titus, okay? Titus uses the word sisters. Okay, so I'm using Titus as my background. Okay, so think Titus. This sister will call another sister. Sister, you know that sister? Problems in the marriage, she said. Husband is a drunkard hunter. Oh, that sister will call another sister. You know, problems in the marriage, husband is a very bad person, drunkard, he sleeps around, oh. By the time the whole circle is over, the entire story is messed up. You know what has happened? Who has your ear? Satan has your ear. He has become the accuser of the brethren. He accuses day and night before God. Who has your ear? Who has your ear? Satan has your ear. Therefore, Satan will have your tongue and Satan will have your body. You know what Jesus said? Morning by morning, you wake me up. And I did not turn back. My ear and therefore my body is yours. My ear and therefore my body is yours. That is the reason why you know what Paul will say. Paul, a bond servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle. What am I? Bond servant first, apostle second. Second Peter chapter 1 verse 1. Simon Peter, a bond servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. How many of you want to be bond servant? Anybody? Okay, very difficult. There are two kinds of bond servants, by the way. Okay. Bond servants also, there are categories, Baba. Not everybody is a whole-hearted bond servant. Do you know that? I'm not saying it. Let me show you. I don't have to say that. Let scripture speak for itself. Two kinds of bond servants. Deuteronomy chapter 15. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this thing today. And if, if, and if it happens that he says to you, I will not go away. This is your servant. I will not go away from you because he Read that. Loves you and your house since he prospers with you. Then you shall take an all and thrust it through his ear and he shall be your servant for ever. That is bond servant category one. Category A. A category. You want to see B category bond servant? Okay, let me show you a B category bond servant. That is also there in scripture. If his master has given him a wife, uh, oh, and she has borne him sons and daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters. And shall and he shall go out himself, meaning after the years have been over as a slave, he can he can go, but the wife and the children will be his masters, then what will happen? But if the servant plainly says, "I love my master, I love my wife, I love my children, please, let me not go free. Why does he love his master? Because he loves his wife. Because I is his children. You know what Jesus said? If you can't hate your wife, if you can't hate your children, if you can't hate your father, your mother, even your own life, you cannot be my disciple. This is bond servant category B. So which category of bond servant do you are? Do you have any other? So That's what I'm saying. Who completes you? You see, this is, I love my master, (laughs) my wife and my children. See, when it comes to loving your master, the comparison should be loving your master hating your children. That should be the comparison. That means when it comes to really, really the comparison between these two relationships, it should look like hate. Then you should take an all and he shall be your servant forever. That is the reason why Romans chapter 6 will say, But thanks be to God, though you were once slaves to sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. Just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. Present a body as a slave. Fifth one. Jesus upheld the mercy and the truth of God on the cross and glorified Him. Let me show you what that's, what this means. John's Gospel chapter 12 verse 27 onwards. Now my soul is troubled and what shall I say? Father save me from this hour. But for this purpose I came to this hour. Father glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified and He will glorify Him, glorified again. And the next verse, verse 31. Now, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And if I be lifted up, From the earth, I will draw all men unto myself. This, he said, signifying by what death he would die. What he was doing now? Jesus said, you know what? I'm going to die for sinners, God. I'm going to uphold your justice. And I'm going to uphold your righteousness. And I'm going to uphold your mercy. And I'm going to uphold your grace. Then the people answered him and said, We have heard from the law that Christ remains forever. And how can you say the Son of Man should be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? Jesus justified men. Jesus justified men or man by carrying his cross. We justify God by carrying our cross. Luke's gospel chapter 7 verse 29 to 30. When all the people heard him, even the tax collectors, what did they do? They justified God having been baptized with the baptism of John. Okay. Sixth one. Quickly, real quickly. Two more. Jesus wait for God to exalt him. Okay? Jesus for waited for God to exalt him. Philippians chapter 2 verse 9. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him a name above every other name. Either you can exalt yourself or God can exalt you. Genesis chapter 12 verse 2. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. This is talking to Abraham. But look at this. This is a this is the Tower of Babel, Genesis chapter eleven verse four, and they said, "Come, let us build for ourselves a city, and make ourselves a name." You see that? Either God makes a name, or you make a name for yourself. That is the reason why submission is so important. First Peter chapter five. Likewise, you younger people. Submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God and that he may exalt you in due time. Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Humble, it's a humility, there's a path of humility that is to exaltation. Finally, this is something which which ties in everything together. So I want you to give me your undivided attention. The last thing. Genesis, this is is something very, very important. Jesus had assurance of sonship. That is why he was free to work as a slave. Look at what it says in John's Gospel, chapter 13. And supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that father had given him all things, and that he had come from the, come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. Let me tell you what's happening over here. When Abigail was about two years old, okay, I used to take her for a walk to the grocery store, okay, um, like that and I used to make her walk. I used to make her walk. I am her father, right? I am her. Father, she is my daughter. She knows it very well. She keeps on walking, walking with me, and she is absolutely guileless. No child, right? They're absolutely without guile. If she's if her feet are paining, she would say, Take her. Because my mother used to say, Take her, Vijay. So she said, Take her, take her, take her, take her. She's two years old, no, take her. So pick her up like that. Embrace her and give her a kiss. Okay, you still love that. I'm a a father, right? That is the assurance that she has. Think about Abigail, okay? She grows up. God forbid. She messes up. She's in a real mess now. No matter what has happened to her, one fact will never change. One fact will. Never change that she is my daughter. I am her father. That will never change. But she messes it up. And one day, like the prodigal son, she comes to her senses. And she's really feeling bad. Oh my God, I hurt my dad. I hurt my mom. I I don't deserve to be called their daughter anymore or a son anymore. Let me go back to them. I'll tell them, you know what? Dad, mom, I don't deserve to be called your daughter or your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. You know what she's implying? Make me like one of your hired servants. Let me clean my life up first. Let me make a little money as your apprentice. Give back at least a little what I stole from you or what I squandered from your wealth. And then we'll talk about sonship. That's what is going on in her mind. She still has the attitude of a slave. But the father looks at her. You know what the father does? Runs. She has rehearsed everything. You know, by the way, they did did the prodigal son drama in GTLC. They rehearsed their dialogues left, right and center. So they know their dialogues pakkah biblically, okay. So they rehearse the dialogue and this fellow is, he is rehearsing his narrative even before the narrative is over. You know what does the father do? Embrace and kiss. You see. You see, the fact that I am your father is never gonna change. Never gonna change. Never! you see if I am genuinely a father I am not looking at anything, I am just looking at her heart oh she, can, she just came back bring the fattened calf but look at the other guy he was also a slave working for his father but he was never a son both were slaves they were never sons they were slaves trying to become sons Jesus was a son who became a slave. You know why he could become a slave? Because he knew, you know what? Just because I am doing this is not going to change my relationship with my father. It's not going to change my relationship with my father. You know, when I look at our church, I know so many of us have never experienced a father. You know what it says? God sent his son so that we could have the full rights of sonship, Galatians chapter 4. And He sent the Holy Spirit into our hearts so that we can call Him what? Daddy. You know when God, you know when Jesus called Him Daddy? The entire Gospels, you know, when Jesus called him daddy, when he was in the garden of Gethsemane, when he was dropping sweats of blood, you know what he was saying? Abba, 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 daddy, daddy, no, daddy, no, no, please, please. I can't do this. I can't do this. You know why? He did that all so that we could have the assurance of sons and we can experience the kiss of the Holy Spirit so that we can call him Abba father. There's a kiss of Satan, my dear brothers and sisters. Which is full of poison. It says the poison of asps is in his lips. But life is in the lips of the sun. You know what he did? It says he breathed on them. When he breathed on them, you know what it says? It's literally the graphics. Uh, You know what? uh, The visualization of this is literally kissing them. Receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. If you experience the kiss of the Holy Spirit, you have the assurance as a son. You know, after you have the assurance, son, you know what you're going to do? You're going to do anything. You will never murmur. You will never complain. You will never argue. You will never say this is low profile job. Know why? It is because it is this is your father's what? House. And you will take the whip if necessary. How many of you have? How many of you are actually sons in this house this morning? How many of you are slaves? I am telling you, honestly, most of you are slaves. Most of you. And including my, me sometimes. I am a slave. I am a slave of people's opinion. I don't have the assurance that I, that I am. You know, it's too good to be true. Too good. You know what it says in 1 John 3 verse 1? Behold! What? What manner of love the Father has showered upon us that we should be called what? The sons of God. The sons of God. Now don't get too much with the gender. Sons of God. Why is he not calling daughters of God? He also says bride of Christ. And well, What should men think? He says, "Virgins, what should men think?" Okay, so just just don't. These are all what we call as what is that Uh, anthropomorphisms? (laughs) That is theological terminology to make you understand in human terms how God relates to us. He relates to us as a father, and Jesus, our elder brother, Jesus, our bridegroom. (laughs) And you know what? Song of Solomon says, "Let all the virgins kiss him." That is the word proskeneo, worship to kiss the son. This morning, if you have experienced the kiss of the Holy Spirit, kiss the hand of the son and worship him. Not here, when you go back home. And then you will worship him with trembling and rejoice in him. You will worship him and also rejoice in trembling. You will love him, you will adore him and you will fear him. Not because you are afraid of him, you are afraid to offend him. Because you bear his name. And he is your son. He is your father. Question this morning. Do you have the assurance of the son? Tim Keller in his book. The prodigal God. Look at what he says. And I am going to stop here. The son intends to say. Father I know I don't have a right to come back into your family. But if you if you apprentice me to one of your hired men. So I can learn a trade and earn a wage. Then I could at least pay off my debt. And you know what? You can never pay back father's debt. It's too big for you. Forget about it. The elder brother was angry. You know why? Because now he has to share his inheritance with his brother. He's angry. Jesus, our elder brother, you know what he said? He says to the Laodicean church, the most com- compromised church, you know what he says? If you overcome, you can sit with me on my throne and you can reign. I don't have any problem sharing because I have, just because I'm sharing, it's not going to change my stand. God is a father. He wants to have many children, unlike fathers today. We want to have only few children. Children are not a burden to a father. As many children, let them home, let them come home. This morning, come back home, my dear brothers. You know, everything that you experience in your life while you're struggling because you do not have the assurance of being a son or daughter of the living God. Behold what manner of love the Father has shown upon us that we should be called the sons of God and the daughters of God. Experience the kiss. Call him daddy. Call him daddy. You know, in the old covenant, Daddy, what are you talking about? He's God. Forget about that. He's going to embrace you, and he's going to kiss you. It doesn't matter how much you messed up; you can still come back. Once you come back, once you have the assurance, you know what will happen automatically. You want to please him, you want to love him, and you will have a lot of mistakes. Now, Zach Poonan gives us a very interesting, beautiful example. I have a daughter. Just imagine, no, she is what my daughter is like. What, let's say, five years old. She writes a letter to me. Okay, she writes a letter. And she gives it to me, will I say, in the handwriting, will I say that? No. I just love her. All her handwriting, it's nonsense. When she grows up, if her handwriting is like that, then you can ask. But at her level, she has just expressed herself. I'm not going to look for grammatical errors. You know why? You can come to the father because he completes you. You can never be complete without him. He justifies you you can be complete because he has completed you that is the genius of christianity how many fathers how many sons in god's house this morning shall we all stand all sons and daughters can stand this morning all sons and daughters of the living god you know what it's difficult for me to preach this you know why because i'm a guy who was like a who get her? What is the son-father relationship? No, 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 no. Come on, no. It's like, uh, very difficult for me actually to comprehend. But I look at pastor, no? Today is his 21st birthday, know. I can tell something about him. This is what I learned. I'm closer to him than you. Closer! I'm not closest, okay? He's not my buddy-buddy. Yeah? So he's, I respect him a lot. But one of the things I have seen, I've seen a father in him. Father I should, I can respect. You all call him Papu. Have you ever seen me calling him Papu anytime? I don't get too familiar also because I know who he is. I'm not saying that he shouldn't stop calling him Papu, okay? He doesn't mind. But the thing is that, you know what? Paul says, you know, you have thousands of teachers because you have no fathers. But in Christ Jesus, I begat you. I went through birth pangs for you. You know what birth pangs means? Men don't have any experience. You don't tell your pregnant wife, honey, I completely understand what you're going through. Don't ever say that. but but, But Paul could say that. You know, once children come, finished. Game over for you. Life changes. That's exactly what happened to Paul. You know what Paul says? Galatians, I came to you and I became one like you so that you can become like me. To the Jews, I became like a Jew. To the Gentile, I became like a Gentile. To the barbarian, I became like a barbarian. To the unwise, I became like an unwise. To the wise, I became like a wise so that I can, I can win a few to Christ. I want to be a father. We have a father. We have a father, really, honest. Honestly, I I, I mean, it's no exaggeration for me. I'm just not exaggerating at all. We have a father. Very few fathers. In our church, I'm doing honestly young men. Don't just be young men. Aim to be a father. That's a different experience altogether. When you become a father, life changes. Game over. All your ambitions are gone. You become a part of them. It's for life. So this morning, come back to your father come back to him this morning no just, just, just don't don't be what do you say alagakandi don't become too don't sulk god has to sulk not we yeah just come back to him just put away all these petty things he's our father behold what manner of love the father has given that we should be called the sons of god people in the world have nothing to give us they don't have any idea what we, are, what we are talking about, it's alien language to them. Because for them, mercy and truth can never come together. But it came together in, this, in, the, in Jesus Christ so that we can have our Father. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Father, we just thank you. Yes, Father, we just thank you. We could call you, Father. That's how your son taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven. But Lord, this morning, we want to say, hallowed be your name, Lord, in our lives. We want to bear your name and we want to make you proud. So that you could see from heavens and challenge the, the, the wicked dark, the dark forces and tell Satan, did you see my son there? Did you see my daughter there? Did you see a man and a woman so upright and blameless who fears God and eschews evil? That we will become trophies, O oh Lord, for you. Grant us grace to that end, O oh Lord. And I pray, Father, for all my brothers and sisters over here, O oh Lord, who have lost their assurance as sons and daughters. Bring back that assurance, O oh Lord. Bring back that assurance. If they are looking for completeness in any other thing, any other relationship, any other career, any other um, uh, uh, property or, or, or any other thing of this world, Father, let them be miserable in it, O oh Lord. Because that will never complete them. It is only you who can complete us. And you can liberate us. Father, it is you who has given us, you have not given us a spirit of fear that will take us. Back to bondage. But the spirit of adoption. By which we can call out. Abba father. The spirit himself. Bearing witness with our spirit. That we are the sons of God. And if sons. Heirs of God. Heirs. Joint heirs with Christ. If indeed. We suffer with him. So that we can be glorified together with him. Hallelujah. What a privilege. What a privilege. What a privilege. Oh Lord. Let us not squander it. In trifles and stupid things of this world. Grant us grace. To that end. Touch every one of us this morning. And especially this morning, we want to remember Pastor James. He's been a father to us. And we want to bless him in your name. What we have seen in him, we have seen a reflection of who you are to us, Lord. And I pray, Father, that Lord, you would increase and enlarge his quiver. That his quiver will be full of spiritual children. Because you said in Galatians, the Lord rejoice, O barren woman, sing for joy that who can who cannot bear. Because more are the number of barren of the barren woman, more are the number of the children of the barren woman than than that which can bear children. Oh, Father, what a privilege to have a quiver. Full. You said, "O oh Lord, blessed is the man who has, ha- who has a squiver full of them. He shall not be ashamed, and he shall contend with the enemy at the gates." Hallelujah! And I pray, Father, that our Father, our Father, our spiritual Father's quiver will be full, full this year, O oh Lord, with many more spiritual children, O oh Lord, Father. In the days to come, He will be able to birth, as He has birthed here in this in this church, even in Hyderabad, all of us His spiritual children. We just bless him. We bless our our earthly father, our earthly spiritual father, our earthly parents too, who has given who have given birth to us. We just want to honor them. We want to honor our parents, O Lord, because they were a reflection of you in our lives, O Lord Father. We want to bless them, O Lord Jesus, this morning. We want to bless our earthly fathers. We want to bless our earthly mothers. We want to also bless Sister Elsa. Thank you, Father, for her, that she was a mother to all of us, O oh Lord. Thank you, Father, for her life as well, O oh Lord. We bless her in Your name as well, O oh Lord Jesus. That You would touch her from the crown of her feet to the sole of her feet, from the crown of her head to the sole of her feet. You would anoint her and touch her, and even Pastor James. That uh, together, O oh Lord Father, they will give birth to many, many more spiritual sons, spiritual daughters, O oh Lord, in the days to come. Thank you, Father. What a blessing, O oh Lord. What a blessing, because You said, O oh Lord, through Apostle Paul, that we are His glory in the last day, O oh Lord. But we are a epistle, not written with hands, but written by the Holy Spirit. Not on tables of stone, but the tables of the human heart. Not by letter, but of the Spirit. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. We worship you, Father. We give you glory. We give you honor. We give you thanks. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us now and through the rest of the week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.